We're in Philippians chapter 1. As we continue, uh, looking at verses 19 to 26 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, um, we do come again and ask that your spirit, the spirit of Jesus, would help us, would support us this morning as we look at your word and as we think... um, about some amazing uh, truths that you have in this short little passage. I pray that you would help me. Because, um, Father, honestly, as, as much as I've soaked in these verses all week long, I, I, just, I just don't sense that I can do them justice. And I pray that you would help me. Um, and help your people, <laughs> help us to hear your voice. Don't let me get in the way. Um, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So about 200 years ago, there's a German philosopher named Schopenhauer. Jeff, are you familiar with Schopenhauer? I knew it. knew he would be. And the story is told, and I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but... The story is told, and I've seen different versions of it, that, that Schopenhauer's practice was to dress somewhat like a transient beggar and to visit Berlin's famous Tiergarten Park. It's kind of like Central Park um, in New York City. But he would, he would visit there to think, to walk. One day he decided to rest on a bench in the park, um, and he was deep in thought about the meaning of life, as philosophers are, are prone to do, and artists too. Uh, but his appearance made a police officer suspicious. So the officer came up, got the philosopher's attention, and asked him two questions. What are you doing here? Where are you going? And Schopenhauer answered, oh, if I only knew. That was supposed to, you're supposed to laugh at that point. 
Okay, thanks. Um, what are you doing here? Where are you going? These are the kinds of questions that Paul is addressing in these verses uh, as he's under house arrest in Rome, chained hour by hour, remember, to one Roman soldier after another, facing the very real prospect that he could soon die, and as we know his story, he did die a few years later, as tradition says he was beheaded in Rome. But what are we doing here and where are we going are also important questions for us to consider in the chaos of 2020 as we sit in our own sort of COVID house arrest, as we are chained to masks, um, as we are anxious about the future of our country, our economy, our way of life, wondering, um, is life as we've known it over? It's a good time for us to stop and ask ourselves, what are you doing here? Where are you going? I wonder how you might answer those questions. If you're a young person, let's say you're a student, elementary school, middle school, high school, you might answer the what are you doing here question this way. Well, I'm a student, so I'm, what I'm doing is I'm doing school. I'm preparing for what's next in life. And maybe that's a career. Maybe I've, I'm preparing to be a professor or a lawyer or a medical professor or a contractor or an engineer, or a stay-at-home mom, a teacher, a baseball player, a musician, a poet, an artist. Maybe along the way I'll meet Mr. or Mrs. Mrs. Wright and I'll be a husband and a father or a wife and a mother. And I'll, what I'll be doing here is family life. What am I doing here? I'm doing all the things that go along with those roles and relationships and responsibilities. That's what I'm doing here. But where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you headed? What's the direction? What's your destiny? Well, you might say, well, I'm, like I said, I'm preparing. I'm preparing for a career or for a marriage or, or for parenting. I'm preparing for retirement. I'm, I'm preparing to have time to pursue my bucket list. I'm preparing for an empty nest life of leisure. <laughs> Is that how it works? No, I didn't think so. Um, preparing for grandparenting. Um, or you may give the good Sunday school answer and say, well, I'm a Christian, so I was told that if I believe in Jesus, then I'm going to heaven to live forever. So, sure, I've I believe in Jesus, so I'm good to go. That's where I'm going. Paul's coming to us, well, the Spirit is coming to us through Paul in this passage to poke us, to wake us up a little bit from our nap on the bench and say, so where are you going? But really, where are you going? What are you doing here in the meantime? See, Paul, Paul had thought life through. And I don't mean just life on this side of the grave. Paul thought the whole thing through. Paul believed that life was not just from here to the grave, but from the grave and beyond. It's all one life. And so 
Paul believed that all of life, both before and after the grave, should have one ruling passion. And so Paul answers these questions. What are you doing here? Where are you going? In verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What are you doing here, Paul? For to me to live is Christ. Where are you going, Paul? To die is gain. Literally, these words say this, that the is is kind of added to help us with the English, but Paul literally says, to go on living, Christ. To have died, gain. To go on living, Christ. To die, gain. Paul's ruling passion is Christ. John Newton expressed that ruling passion this way. He said, oh, to live in and by and to and for and with Jesus by faith. This is life indeed. Oh, to live in and by and to and for and with Jesus by faith. This is life indeed. Now, the student who told me all those things about where, why they're, what they're doing here and where they're going may, may argue and say, but wait, are you saying that these things that I'm doing and where I'm going, those are wrong or bad things? Not, not necessarily wrong, although they might be. And it's, it's, it's not necessary that you have to abandon all those relationships and roles and responsibilities, although God may ask you to do some of those. But it's that those relationships and roles and responsibilities are not what ultimately drive your life. There's something else deeper and more foundational that drives how you live in all of those relationships, roles, and responsibilities. You don't get your identity from those relationships and roles and responsibilities. You get your identity from Christ, and then you enter into each relationship, each role, each responsibility as a person who is in Christ. That's what Paul means, to live as Christ and to die as more Christ. That's the ruling passion that shapes who Paul is going to be in all of his relationships, roles, and responsibilities. And now we'll come back to that in a moment, but I want to look real quickly in these verses at what that kind of ruling passion produces in a person. And then we'll talk about, we'll begin to think about how you practice that kind of ruling passion. What does to live as Christ and to die as gain produce in real life? Well, look, look at verse 19, or verse 18, the second half of it actually is where we're starting. That ruling passion that life is Christ and dying is more of Christ, produces joy. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. Paul had just talked about how adversity and adversaries do nothing but advance the gospel in and through him. And here again, he says that he will rejoice because when living is Christ and dying is more of Christ, then you can have joy 
not joy that you're hurting, joy in the suffering or the pain of it. But as Paul says several times in this letter, joy in the Lord, joy in Christ. So that ruling passion produces joy, but it also produces a peace of mind. Look at verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance, Jesus says. Can you not... Can you hear the peace of mind that Paul has? I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, Bible scholars debate over what he means by deliverance. Does he mean deliverance from prison? Does he mean um, salvation, which is what the word actually is? Um, Does he mean his ultimate salvation? Does he even mean the saving work of sanctification in his life, that this will turn out for my sanctification? Or does he mean my vindication, that when I stand before Caesar, I will be vindicated? There's no way to know what he means, but what we can certainly see is that Paul has the peace of mind that whatever happens will turn out for his deliverance, whatever he thinks that means. And I, I don't, I'm not smart enough to read in his mind, but I can read his, his feeling. I can read the peace of mind that he has, the confidence that he has. So it produces joy, it produces a peace of mind, and then that ruling passion that Paul has produces meaning for his life. It produces a purpose for living. He goes on, he says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. You see, it gives him a reason to get out of bed in the morning. It's my eager expectation and hope. Eager expectation is that craning of the neck to look around the corner and see, is it coming? Is it coming? It's like when I used to wait for my grandparents to arrive because I knew they were bringing me stuff, and I'd just look down the road, are they coming? What gets you out of bed in the morning, Paul says, to live is Christ. Gives him eager expectation and hope. It also gives him meaning of a life that he doesn't have to be ashamed of. He says, I will not at all be ashamed of living Christ. And then here is the meaning of his life. Here's the purpose. He says, Christ Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. That word honored means to make much of. It means to make large. It means to make big. Make big. To magnify. And so the meaning that Paul's ruling passion gives his life is to make much of Jesus, whether he's alive or dead. And there's two ways you can make things large. The other day, I had the privilege of um, visiting Richard Nelson in his lab, and he's doing some experiments with itty-bitty tiny microscopic worms. So Richard's over there playing with worms. But he let me look through the microscope to see them. If you look at them with the naked eye, they're just these little dots in a dish. But through the microscope, what's actually really, really small seems to be big. That's magnifying with a microscope, and that's not what Paul means. 
The other way you magnify something was a, is with a telescope. So when you look at the moon, it looks small and really, really far away, but the telescope makes it look more like what it is, big and close. <laughs> and so we honor Christ in our bodies. We make much of Christ in our bodies. We make Jesus big. We, he's already big. But what we do is we magnify him as we live with the ruling passion that he is our life. Um, we make him look to ourselves and to those who put their eye up to our lives as big, more like what he really is, big and close. Paul says that his meaning, the meaning and purpose of his life is that Christ be made large, be made much of in his life and his death. So that ruling passion produces all those things, but then it also produces the fruit of love. Skip down to verse 22. He says, now, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He's talking as if he has the option to die or to live, <laughs> which is interesting. He says, I'm hard-pressed between these two, dying and living. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And that's what he means when he says to die is gain, because he gets Christ, and that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. For whatever reason, Paul believes that he's going to get out of prison and he's going to get to go back and minister to the Philippians and the other churches and to continue on in his body, in the flesh, for the progress and joy of God's people. And he believes that's actually though he desires to be with Jesus, it's more necessary for him to stay on their account. That's the fruit of love in Paul's life. That's the kind of love that looks like Jesus. A person who would rather go be with Jesus, but is willing to remain and work for more fruit for Jesus, for the sake of others. So, let me ask, what other ruling passion produces joy in suffering? Produces peace of mind in that all things will turn out to complete your salvation? What other ruling passion produces meaning and purpose for living uh, both before and after death that makes the most important person in the universe look large to those who need him? What other Ruling passion creates the fruit of suffering love for the sake of others. The answer is there is no other. So then I was thinking about this. How, how do I know what my ruling passion is? And so maybe it would help to ask these questions to help us kind of think about, well, what is my real ruling passion? So think about these questions, and, and let's use what his ruling passion produced in him as our guide. What or who do I look to for joy? What are the happy things I daydream about that bring me joy? Or 
The other way, what do I fear will steal joy from me? What about peace of mind? Where do I go for peace of mind? For that confidence that everything's going to be okay. What do I believe is the meaning of my life? What gets me out of the bed in the morning? Besides coffee. Coffee is okay. What do I believe would bring shame upon me if I didn't achieve it or have it? In other words, what would I, if I didn't achieve this or have this, would I believe that I should be ashamed of my life because I didn't achieve or have those things? What am I making much of with my life, making much of with my time, my money, my talents? And then when you really get right down to it, what really drives me to serve the needs of others? I know, I know it's the love of Jesus, but, but when it gets right down to it, what really drives me to serve the needs of others? What makes me do what I do in all my relationships and roles and responsibilities? Maybe those answers would point us to what our ruling passion really is. But the ruling passion of Paul's life is to live Christ, to die more Christ. Oh, to live in and by and to and for and with Jesus by faith. This is life indeed. Spurgeon said this, Jesus was Paul's very breath, the soul of his soul, the heart of his heart, the life of his life. Another Bible teacher said that Paul is saying, I live only to serve him, only to commune with him. I have no conception of life apart from him. I have no conception of life apart from Jesus. So I thought about this this week. Actually, a friend of mine and I were talking about what does Paul mean when he says to live as Christ and to die as gain? And my friend asked this question, what else can you live for that you get more of when you die? What else can you live for that you get more of when you die? Here's some ideas, ways to fill in that blank. For to me, to live is money. And to die is to leave it all behind. For to me, to live is fame or a legacy. And to die is to be forgotten. For me, to live is strength and power. And to die is to make my strength and power useless. To me, to live is possessions. And to die is to take none of them with me. And then I thought of this. It's even possible to say, for to me, to live is to do many great works in Jesus' name. That sounds good. For me to live is to do many great works in Jesus' name. But then Jesus said in Matthew 7, 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus said, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. So it's possible to say, for to me to live is to do many great works in Jesus' name and to die and hear him say, I never knew you. Depart from me. You see, Jesus agrees with Paul that to live is to know and be known by Christ, not the good things we do for him. What else can you live for that you get more of when you die? What else can you live for that suffering and death cannot spoil, take away, or destroy? What else can you live for that removes your fear of death and turns death into gain? Not something to fear. And now we have to be careful because our hearts will try to find a way to say, to live as Christ but then also to put something else alongside Christ in that to live is blank. One commentator explained it this way. He said, if, if we think about it carefully, we will realize that sometimes what we really mean by to live is Christ is this, Christ plus wealth, Christ plus power, Christ plus possessions, Christ plus whatever we want to add to him. It, it's easy to do that and to think that we're saying to live as Christ. But to read verse 21 as Paul wrote it, he said, Christ can't share that blank with anything else. Someone said that when it's all said and done, there are only two philosophies of life. You can say with the Apostle Paul, to me, to live as Christ and to die as gain, or you can say, to me to live as self and to die as loss. So I spent some time asking myself this week, what, what does to live as Christ look like in real life? I tried to think of, well, <laughs> who, besides Paul, who else lived that way? And so I thought this. Who else treasured being with God in communion with God more than anything else? Who knew that after he died, he would have what he most desired, to be with God in all the forever fullness of joy and glory that awaited him? But then who knowing what was waiting for him after death, chose to stay and live for the sake of others until his death and even by his death? Who wrestled with the looming prospect of dying like Paul was and longed to be with God but was willing to delay that desire for the sake of serving sinners? For the sake of more fruitful labor here, for the sake of helping people progress in the joy of their relationship with God, for the sake of God's people giving glory for what God has done through him as the servant and in those whom he served. 
Well, yeah, of course, it's Jesus. And so I started thinking, what, 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 what would it look like for Jesus to live the way Paul is saying? Now, Jesus wouldn't say, for me to live as Christ. I think Jesus would say, for me to live as my Father. And so in his prayer in John 17, after the Last Supper, Jesus, on the night before his crucifixion, Jesus said to his Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I did everything you gave me to do in every relationship, role, and responsibility you gave me. I did it all, Father. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is longing for communion with his Father again. It's coming soon, but he... He longs to be with his father. Just like Paul said, I want to be with Jesus. That's far better. Jesus said, I want to be with you, Father. That's far better. And then a couple of hours later, maybe that night, his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. I want to suffer, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus not only was longing for communion with his Father again, he was still longing for conformity to his Father's will. He longed to be conformed to his Father's plan to rescue his people. And so like Paul, Jesus was willing to delay what he desired to be with the Father in order to love and serve people. Jesus' ruling passion was to live my father, to die my father, to live as communion with my father and conformity to my father's will, to my father's heart, his mind, his will, And this is how Jesus had always lived. Listen to what he said in John 10. He said, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? You hear that communion with the Father? The Father is, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Do you not believe that? And then he says this, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So twice in this sandwich, he talks about his communion with his Father. The Father is in me and I am in the Father. And then in the middle of that, he talks about conforming to his Father's heart and mind and will. The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who dwells in me does his works through me. Jesus longs to be in communion with his Father as he conforms his words and his works to the heart and mind and will of his Father. That's, I think, what it looks like. Because I think Paul's living was shaped by Jesus. 
in the way Jesus lived in communion with God and conformity to God. So for Paul, to live as Christ meant no less than this. I'm sure way more than this. But it meant no less than living in communion with and conformity to Jesus. And so here's, here's just one practical way that I considered this week that this worked itself out in the life of Jesus, this to live as my father, to die as my father. This, this is one practical way it worked itself out in the life of Jesus. He cultivated his communion with his father and he cultivated his conformity to his father by constant communication with his father. In Luke 5.16, Luke says this about Jesus. Yet Jesus himself frequently withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. And the language Luke uses there means that Jesus frequently, he, this was his habit. He frequently withdrew to the wilderness and spent time with his father, communicating with him. Now Jesus also, as we know, talked to his father in the middle of things he was doing, like at Lazarus's resurrection. He looked up and he spoke to the Father. He did that in several places. So it's a combination of set-aside times of communicating with his Father, of talking to him and hearing him. But it's also a constant communication with his Father throughout his days. And what did Jesus do in those times of prayers? He communed with his father and he conformed his will to his father's will. How do I know that? Well, because when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he taught them the pattern of his own prayers. And so, in Matthew 6, Jesus said, pray then like this. It's okay for us to pray just the the words of the Lord's prayer, but he meant it to be a pattern of prayer. This is, this is how Jesus communed with his Father and conformed his will to his Father's will. He said, our Father in heaven. That's communion. Abba, Father. And so you know he just spent time talking to his dad, communing with his heart. Hallowed be your name. <laughs> Jesus wanted to make his father large. Hallowed be your name. I want to make much of you. Your kingdom come and your will be done. There's the conformity to the heart, mind, and will of God. Not my will, but yours. Jesus was praying that long before the garden of Gethsemane. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as in heaven. Isn't that what Paul was saying that he wanted to see done? If it's, the, if it's Jesus' will for me to stay and remain with you for your progress and joy in your relationship with him, that's what I'm going to do. And, I, and, I, and Paul's saying, and I think that's what he wants to happen, so I'm ready. And then the prayer is to ask for provision in order to continue to live in community with and on mission with God. Give us this day our daily bread. Give me what I need, God. 
to live in community with you and on mission with you. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, Jesus never needed to pray that because he never needed to be forgiven for anything. But he's talking about his band of brothers, his, his people, his band of sisters. and He's praying for his community. Um, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He recognizes that there will be those who are his adversaries. It sounds so much like Paul. <laughs> and that's because Paul's life was shaped by Jesus in the way Jesus lived. The ruling passion that Jesus took into all of his relationships and roles and responsibilities was to live is my father and to die is my father. And so I, I think that, that begins to help me have a model for what this to live as Christ, to die as gain looks like in my life. To live as Christ is to continue to live and serve Christ so that I have Christ more and more. <laughs> because as I live to love and serve others as he has loved and served me, I'm going to have to commune with him. I'm going to have to depend on him and rest in him and know his heart for me so that I have his heart for other people. And the more I love and serve the people in my sphere of influence where he's put me, it will conform me to Christ because I'm going to suffer to do it. So in every one of my relationships, roles, and responsibilities, I get to commune with Christ more and I get to be conformed to Christ more. So to live is Christ. But to die is gain. And since I already have Christ while I live, to die is to get more of him. Because after I die, I get him in all his fullness without my sinful heart getting in the way. I can't help but think of 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So when I see Jesus, my communion with him will be final and full. And when I see Jesus, my conformity to him will be final and full. So everything I'm getting in Christ now, I get finally and fully then. So what would you say to someone who came up to you and asked what are you doing here? Where are you going? Here's what I want to say. And by your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, I will be able to say this. Paul was probably a Christian for 30 years before he wrote these words, so <laughs> it takes some time. And I'm, I want to ask you specifically, church family, would you pray that the Spirit of Jesus would help me be this way? I want to say with Paul, Christ is what I'm doing here. For me to live is Christ. 
Every relationship, role, and responsibility I've been given is an opportunity for me to commune with Jesus, to grow deeper in my dependence upon him and in my fellowship with him. And then I know he will use every relationship, role, and responsibility that he's given me to conform me to the image of who he is, to make me know him in the power of his resurrection as I share in his suffering, to make me become a person who has the mind of Christ so that I consider others better than myself, and I take the form of a servant, and I humble myself to the point of looking out for the interests of others, even if it feels like dying to do it. I want to be able to say with Paul, Christ is what I'm doing here. And I want to be able to say with Paul, Christ is what I'll be doing when I'm dead. (laughs) After death, I'll still live, and I'm going to go to a place that he's preparing for me, a new heaven and earth, where I will continue to make much of Jesus as I experience communion with Christ finally and fully forever and as the process of my conformity to Christ will be finished and full forever. Friends, we've got to pray that for each other. Pray that by the Spirit of Jesus, God would do that in us and make that our ruling passion. To live is Christ. And to die is all of him. Father, would you, would you do this? I beg you to do this in me, do this in our church. No matter what's going on in this crazy world around us, would you, by your spirit, by the spirit of Jesus, give us the heart of Jesus um, that shaped the heart of Paul so that no matter what, we can say, my passion is Christ, whether I'm alive or dead. Thanks be to God. In Christ's name I pray, amen.